This is the Tyson Durfee Show, the place you come to take the limits off your life. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And yeah, this guys, this is so new for me. And I'm so far out of my comfort zone right now that I don't know if this is going to be good or not. But you know what? You don't have to be good to get started. But you got to get going to get good. And that's kind of the way that I look at it. I've been thinking about doing this podcast. I've been thinking about all the things that I want to share with you to, to hopefully, you know, add value to your life and help you with, you know, the struggles and the things that you have going on. And you know what? I, I've decided that procrastination no longer is going to rule my life. The, the, the fear of what if somebody says it's dumb, that's not going to rule my life anymore. And so today I'm just getting after it. Like I literally just set up my, my, my computer. I, I, typed in search voice memo recording, and I am recording this literally in my office, on my computer, no special equipment, no sound blocker, no team, no nothing. It's just me, raw and real with you guys. And so today I wanted to talk to you about my childhood, my life, where I came from, how I got started, any and all that, because I know it's going to be very unique. I know that a large part of my audience is probably, you know, Western lifestyle folks, uh, people that are from small towns, rural environments, could be a cowboy, could be, you know, a country boy. But so much of my life in the beginning wasn't even that environment. As you may not know about me, I grew up uh, in an urban environment in a city for the first part of my life. Now, when I was very young, my parents split up and I, you know, I hate that. But I don't judge him for it. It's just circumstances. It's the way it goes. You know, sometimes things happen and, and that's okay. You know, I did go live with my mom from the first part of my life. My brother and I, we both moved with my mom in Kansas City. We kind of spent our time hopping around, you know, apartment building, apartment building, you know, rental properties and stuff. And, you know, every couple of years we get a new place or go to a new place and and we kind of get the feel for it. And, and we ended up growing up in, in that urban environment. So we know what it's like to be around the neighborhood kids, to maybe get into mischief and the things that you shouldn't be doing. We know what it's like to look for trouble in that environment. Anyway, you know, we grew up like, and I say way because it was my brother, Travis, and I. And we know what it's like to go, you know, a whole day, mom's working, and, and we would get home from school, and we just go out, and <laughs> we use it. One of the favorite things that we used to do would be go to, to go to construction sites and steal, literally steal the lumber and the nails and go home and make ramps for our bikes and skateboards. And that was just like the funnest thing ever. But we didn't really know it was stealing back then. And we just kind of we kind of just seen it as something laying around and we took it. But we know what it's like to, you know, go without food or 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 have to, you know, go hang out with the other kids because they had food and and yeah, we were we were definitely wild city kids. So my most memorable experiences in my early youth was, you know, listening to rap. Music. I, I love rap music when I was young. The biggest influences for me were, you know, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. And then when I got into high school, it was, you know, 50 Cent and Eminem and all that stuff. And I, I did listen to country music, you know, as I got older as well. But early on, man, that rap music, you know, really stuck to me. It really hit me and I loved it. And I was like totally wearing MC Hammer pants. I had a long mullet. You could just imagine this kid in the city with a long redheaded mullet with shaved sides 
and uh, wearing MC Hammer pants and a T-shirt that was handed down, you know, two generations or three generations. But that was my life when I grew up, you know, at the start. I would spend, you know, the majority of time with my mom. And then on the weekends, I would go to my dad. And it was kind of unique because I would go from being this, you know, city kid to this, uh, you know, riding skateboards and bikes and running with the kids and stealing things and and skipping school uh, to on the weekends being a country kid. So with my dad, it was completely different. There was, you know, there was structure. You had to be up in the morning to feed the animals. You had to doctor the calves. You wore boots and jeans. He taught me that, you know, a man's handshake was valuable. You look somebody in the eye when you talk to him. He taught me so many valuable life lessons. But early on in my life, I grew up in the city. And I'm not sure that my dad knew that I was listening to gangster rap and learning, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I don't think my mom knew either. It's just, it was the culture you know, in the early 90s. And it was something that I really loved. And I actually still like to listen to some of that music nowadays. I just make sure it's the edited versions. I, <laughs> I, I listened to one the other day. It just popped on this station I was clipping through. And I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many cuss words. I cannot believe I used to listen to that at, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. But, you know, that's the environment I was in. And, and, and it was pretty cool. Or at least at the time, I thought it was pretty cool. So we're rocking and rolling, my brother and I. We're going around and we're we're skateboarding through the neighborhoods and we get out of school and we're we're going and doing all this stuff. And we were getting wild. I mean, you could even say that we were getting, you know, uncontrollable for my mom. You know, she was a, a, a single woman trying to raise two kids, working full-time jobs. And that's a very difficult situation to be in. I just remember thinking and about how much my mom loved us and how wild we were getting, you know, we were getting into fights and, and we were uh, not doing good in school. I mean, at that point I was in every learning disability class and you know what, we were, we were stealing stuff. It was just a wild time in our life. And there was this one point where my brother and I were fighting and he just thought it was the coolest thing in the world to take mom's hairspray and hold a lighter in front of it. And he just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And one time he uh, lit my head on fire. That was the point where we, where my parents decided that, hey, you know what, Travis maybe needs to go live with dad. And so that was the last time I seen Travis. When, when Travis went to live with uh, my father, life got much more structured for him, much more difficult as far as the working aspect of it. And he went to live with dad. And so at that point, I was all alone in the big city with, with my mom. My mom is one of these individuals that is so kind and so loving and looks at the good at every single person out there. And there was even instances where she would bring homeless people to live with us in our house. And I'm not saying that that's completely wrong, but you know what? You got to protect your family too. They ended up stealing everything we had, leaving us for broke. And we were pretty poor at that moment anyway. So it was a difficult time for her and and our family was just in chaos but that's not the point of the story the point of the story is, is that when you live in that urban environment sometimes it looks like there's no hope at the end of the rainbow you know at least in the country life you're able to look out and say you know i got you know i may not have a million dollars in the bank but you know what i'm around cattle i'm around horses i'm living this free life i have land not not concrete around me there's you know maybe opportunity to meet more people in this town that are good influences and my brother 
he he went from that city life to that country life in that moment. And then I was in the city. And for me at that point, things just got worse. Things got worse. I went to stealing a lot more. I went to running with the with the neighborhood kids. My mom tried really hard to control me, but it was just it was downhill for me from that point. And so it was not much longer that I, I stayed there. I stayed there for a couple more years. I got worse in school. You know, there was there was times where we went without electricity or times where we went without food. Thank God for my buddy, Billy Wilson, who I haven't seen since early childhood. His dad always had food. He was a, a, a single kid being raised by his dad. They always had food. So I'd go over to his house and we'd play video games and we'd listen to rap music and they had food. So I'd always get food from him. And a shout out to my other buddy, Brian Moody. And it, he, his family were country people, but they lived right on the edge of a city. And it was kind of an awkward experience, I think, for him because he was a country boy that was kind of getting raised in, in an urban environment. He was the tough one. Brian was kind of always the instigator. He would want to fight everybody. But those two guys, man, they, they were my rock hard, solid buddies when I was a little kid. And, and we had a lot of fun. We skipped a lot of school. We uh, got into a lot of trouble. I, at that point, I was in every learning disability class. And then finally, my dad went to my mom and said, hey, you know what? You need to send the kid to live with me. I'll get him straightened out. And I, I'm thinking about how tough that would have been for a mother to lose both her kids and how difficult that was. And I don't, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I really appreciate it now because I see the love that my wife has for our children. At that point, I went to live with my dad. Now, the rule with my dad was, is that you had to work. And I mean work, I mean really work, not like do the chores and, you know, go play with your friends. Like you worked your tail in to the ground. I'll say a lot of things about my dad. He's, we've had our ups and downs, but he is a stand-up guy. He is this kind of guy that tells you something, it'll be that way. Uh, my dad has always wore a cowboy hat, boots and spurs his entire life. I have not one time seen my dad in a short sleeve t-shirt or a ball cap. Now, they used to make fun of ball caps, but I like wearing them, so I'm gonna wear my ball cap, but I've never seen my dad you know, in a ball cap. He's that rock hard country guy. My dad was raised by a World War II veteran, first wave uh, to hit the beach on Normandy on D-Day. He was an original frogman, which I believe later became the SEAL program. So he was my, my dad's dad and rock hard, tough guy. So I think that's pretty much why my dad was rock hard and tough. And so dad said, listen, Tyson, if you're not studying for school, you're going to be working. I remember he sat me down. He looked at me very seriously, very sternly and said, Tyson, listen to me. We're going to get you out of these learning disabilities. I'm not going to have a son that's in those. So you're going to apply yourself and you're going to be on the honor roll. And I remember thinking to myself like, yeah, right. I, I can get the bluff over him like I did over my mom. And I, I remember we get into it a couple months and I'm, I'm really trying to be better in school, but you know, it's, I'm still like a, a C and D student at this point. I'm trying to keep up. And my dad works from probably still to this day or from 7am to midnight. That's the hours my dad put in for my entire life. When you worked on the ranch, you were expected to put in the same hours that he put in. My job was to number one, either be working with him all right, or be studying. That's what I had to do. He made it very clear and very upfront with me. So one night I'm like, I don't want to work that much, so I'll just study. So 
he would come home from the barn, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, sometimes later at night. If I wasn't up studying or in the barn working with him, there was going to be hell to pay. So I'm asleep when he gets home <laughs> from the barn. I fall asleep on the couch. And I remember the very last social studies definition that I read. And this is late at night. It said long stories that the Vikings told about the great deeds. And it was called a saga. And it was uh, the social studies definition. Well, I fell asleep reading that definition at probably 10, 30, 11. When dad came up, he was pissed. I was sleeping on the couch when he'd been working his tail off for, you know, I don't know, 16, 17 hours or however long it was. He grabbed me by the back of the neck and he whipped the tar out of me with a rope uh, that is called a pig and string. Now, I went to bed so upset and so sad and couldn't believe that, you know, he did that. And I was, I cried myself to sleep and there were welts all over my back and all over my butt and all my legs. Cause every time he'd try to whip me, I'd jump. I'd try to jump to get away from it. It was by today's standards, way over the line. By those standards, I don't know if it was over the line back then or not, but my dad was a stern man and he did warn me up front. I didn't take him seriously, but let me elaborate on this just a little bit. You know, there's points in your life where things change for you. They're like big wake-up calls. There's that point where you could have went down one path and you went down another path. This, for me, was a wake-up call. I went to bed that night. I was crying. I was upset, but I was determined and focused that I was never going to get a whipping like that ever again and that I was going to be on the honor roll. I can firmly sit here today and tell you that that whooping probably saved my life. I'm not telling you parents that you should do that to your kids. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying for the type of kid that I was, as bullheaded and mean as I was, I that worked for me. I don't think it works for most kids, but it worked for me. And I am so thankful that my dad did that that day. Now that I'm a parent, you know, I don't discipline that way, but it was one of those things that saved, literally saved my life. Because had he not taken that firm action, I could have ended up, you know, not working hard, not chasing my dreams, not putting in the extra effort. And that whooping that night gave me the oomph, the get up and go to go get the things that I wanted. And you know what? It, it did hurt our relationship a little bit. I did thought my dad didn't love me or he didn't like me. I did think that for a little bit, but he saved my life by doing that. And I will tell you guys right now that our relationship is better than ever at this point. We've had our ups and our downs, but our relationship is phenomenal. He used the L word when I talked to him on the phone last time. And I mean, I don't know about y'all, but you know, the L word was something that almost never got used in my household growing up. So <laughs> I'm so thankful for that whooping. I went to bed that night. I said, you know what? I am scared of my dad. I'm afraid he's going to whip the tar out of me. And that's good because I'm going to be on the on roll. I'm going to work my tail into the ground. I'm going to get up and go after things that I want because number one, I'm, I am a little bit scared of my dad. And number two, I want to make something of myself. And it all started for me that night that I got that whooping. So I went to be a, a country boy. I got my butt whooped. I mean hard. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I go to sleep that night. I wake up the next morning. Yeah, it's hard to sit down for a couple days because I got welts all over me. But when I when uh, Mrs. Paisley 
started talking about social studies definitions, Mr. I perked up. I was focused. It took me four years to get out of my learning disability classes. Okay. I go on all through high school. I'm on the honor rolls. I graduate with that white tassel that says you graduate with honors. And I basically just applied myself at everything that I did, whether it was, was roping calves or it was shoeing horses or business. I went on from that point, that trajectory in my life and decided that I was going to apply myself. Like I said, I graduated with honors from high school, but that was probably one of my smallest accomplishments. That night literally changed my life. I went on every day. I would, I would go to school. I'd get out of school. I'd go shoe a couple horses, make a couple hundred bucks, come home, work till, you know, 11 o'clock or midnight, start the day over. When I got into high school, y'all, and I was shoeing horses before I got to high school. It's important to say that. When I was in middle school, I would hire older people than me, the upperclassmen, to drive me to my shoeing appointments. Now imagine this. What if a 13-year-old kid showed up to shoe your horses? That was me with a sophomore, a junior, or a senior driving him to that appointment. I was making enough money shoeing horses that I could afford to pay the person to drive me around, so it worked out great. But I applied myself, and that's the lesson that you have to learn throughout this whole podcast, is that the application of your will, your power, your heart, your desire will create the future that you want. Now, this is just the very first lesson of hopefully hundreds and thousands of podcasts that I'm going to be giving to you. But what my dad did for me that day was wake me up. And you could say that it, it definitely changed my life. And I've said it multiple times through this, through this show. But the truth is, I applied myself. When I got into high school, I said, you know what? I want to be the best calf roper I can possibly be. I want to make the National Finals Rodeo. How do I get there? My dad said, son, you'll never make it unless you put in the work. You're not going to be good enough if you don't put in the work. And I thought, okay, well, very simplistically, how do I get better? Okay, I need to practice. I became relentless with my practice. More to this to come in the future. I'll elaborate on this in the future. But basically what I started doing was I would get up at super early hours in the morning. I would put in the work prior to feeding the horses and then going to school. I would get out of school. I'd go make a couple of hundred bucks shoeing horses. Then I would come home and I would ride horses till you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And you might be asking yourself, well, yeah, you're lying, Tyson. There's no way that you, you know, would, would rope that much because, you know, didn't you have time for like, uh, you know, football games or basketball games or hanging out with friends? And the answer was no. I didn't go to prom. I didn't go to a single football game my entire high school career. I didn't go to the basketball games. Remember, guys, what I was doing was rodeoing. Rodeoing wasn't particularly popular to everybody in my school. I don't even remember that when I won the state championship a couple of times, them even announcing it in my school. Now, it's nothing wrong with my school. It's just that it wasn't like a popular thing. I was so focused on something that wasn't popular, wasn't mainstream. And maybe you, maybe you are out there like saying, I want to be a cowboy or I want to do this or I want to do that. And people don't see that vision that you have. But here's the thing. The dream was given to you. It wasn't given to them. You're the one that has to elaborate on that goal, that dream, that desire, that thing that burns in your heart every single day. You are the one that has to take action. Your mom, your dads, your friends, they can't do it for you. You have to be the one to pick yourself up and say, all right, I'm going to go do this thing. And I don't care what anybody else says, thinks, or believes. 
I have a dream and I'm going to chase this dang dream no matter what because I know my happiness depends on it. And guys, that fire burnt inside for me for a long time. And there's been a lot of things that gave me motivation. You know, there's there's been, you know, the thought of financial security. That gave me motivation. I wanted to win more. I wanted to work harder. There's been the thought of, you know what? My dad said good job and he didn't say that very often. So that carried a lot of weight to me. There's a thought that, you know what, maybe I could go to the national finals. And then after I got to the national finals, maybe I could be a world champion. Just maybe I could be a world champion. And I put that in my mind, put it in my heart, I put it in my journal, started writing it down every single day of my life. And eventually I got that done. Now, I'm not telling you guys that to be braggadocious. And I know this is the first episode, so if you stuck with me this long, I hope you're getting something out of it. But you have the ability to create the life that you want. And if you're a parent, you have the ability to influence your child. And if you're a single individual and you don't have either, there's somebody out there that you can influence. There's somebody out there that you can help. There's somebody out there that you can push. And you know what? By pushing yourself, you're pushing other people. Because whether you know it or not, people are watching you. People are seeing what you do. People are noticing what you do with your time, and they're going to mimic you. They just are. People who are chasing their passion seem to attract people around them on a day-to-day basis. That's just the way it is. I want you to be the very best that you can possibly be. And I hope this story of my childhood and where I came from being from being you know, a city boy, uh, wearing MC Hammer pants, riding skateboards, listening to gangster rap music, to being a country boy, to chasing his dream, to eventually getting a world title. I hope this resonates with you a little bit. Because if I did it, y'all, I know I say it all the time, if I did it, you can do it. I'm not special. I'm not a special person. I'm just a person who believes in work and believes in my fellow friend, my fellow man, my fellow woman that's chasing their goals or dreams or desires. Someday, in another podcast, I will tell you the story of why I became so fanatical about sharing my message with the world and influencing people. But for now... I hope you enjoyed the story. I hope you guys will take a chance and and listen to some of these other shows I have coming up. It's always good for me if you binge watch them or binge watch or listen to them all. But I'm so thankful for y'all. I love y'all. I hope this story inspired you. I hope it motivated you. I hope it pushed you to be better today. I hope you go out and kick the world in the butt because you know what? You deserve it. Your family deserve it. And your friends that are around you that you influence, they deserve it too. We'll see y'all. Adios.